Hi, everybody. Welcome to this event. Um, we are very pleased here at the Middle East Center at LSE to be hosting Dr. Nasser Hariri. He's the president of the Syrian Negotiation Commission. Uh, I'm Ian Black. I'm a visiting fellow at the uh, Middle East Center. Um, what we're going to do is very simple. We have about an hour, maybe a little more. Um, I think that we're going to hear first a little bit from uh, Dr. Hariri, just a few introductory remarks. Then I've got a few questions that I will uh, uh, put to him. And then, hopefully, by about 1.30, 1.35, we will open up the session to questions from you, uh, the audience. Please, when, you, when we get to that point, please do ask questions. Don't make statements. Um, say who you are, if you like. Uh, and we hope that um, this will be a productive and interesting session. So please, Dr. Hariri, over to you for a few minutes, and then Thank I you. will ask you difficult questions. Thank you very much. Thank you. By the way, one thing, we're, we're, this is being streamed live on Facebook as well. So we are. Thank you again, Ian. Thank you for the London School of Economics. Thank you all here in the audience. I'll brief uh, shortly in the beginning to to let some time for dialogue, uh, dialogue and frank sharing with you. Uh, you know, we are now in the eighth uh, year of war inside Syria. The battle inside Syria is not between an opposition and the regime. We have a total population, the Syrian population, uh, have done a lot of demonstrations in the beginning of 2011 against this dictatorship regime. This regime tried from the beginning of the revolution to give the impression to the world that he is fighting terrorist groups or armed groups, and it is not true. In June 2011, while at that time that while the regime was taking young people from the bakeries, from the streets, from the universities to put them in the prison, he released from his prisons uh, thousands of Islamist prisoners. And a lot of these numbers have became later commanders of armed groups. So he was the main party who participated in establishing and creating the phenomena of terrorism. After seven or eight years of war, we are now speaking uh, about more than 600,000 victims the majority of them are civilians. The majority of these civilians are women and children have been killed in Syria by whom? By the Syrian forces itself. And we have more than 250,000 of, of people are detainees in the Al-Assad prisons. A lot of victims, a lot of uh, crimes, which have, has, have been done inside Syria. In the early phase of the revolution, we saw the Iranian militias uh, in Damascus streets and in the streets of all the cities inside Syria. And now, after seven years of war, we are speaking about nearly between 85 to 100,000 of Iranian militias or Iranian related militias. All of these fighters, Iranian fighters, are fighting inside Syria under the leadership of the Revolutionary Guard, Iranian Revolutionary 
Guard. 2015, the Syrian regime, backed by Iranian forces, was not able to get rid of the revolutionaries inside Syria. So they asked direct help. Russia, in the beginning, supported the regime indirectly. But in 2015, after the Free Syrian Army at that time was controlling between 50 to 70 percent of the Syrian territory, the Syrian regime asked the Russians to come directly to Syria and to fight with it. Now we are nearly three years after the Russian intervention inside Syria. And we saw, all of you saw, the volume of crimes which these forces have committed in Eastern Ghouta, in Damascus, in Aleppo, in Homs, in Hama, in Idlib. The Russian forces have used nearly all weapons, including prohibited weapons. The chemical gas, for example, have been, have been used many times. The latest one was in Eastern Ghouta, in Douma. And we have about 70 persons, civilians, women and children, have been killed in this uh, attack. And before, in 2013, you remember well, uh, you remember well uh, the 1,400 of civilians also have been killed while they were sleeping in their simple beds in the early hours of the morning in August 2013. The international community didn't interact or response adequately to stop the killing of civilians inside Syria by the Assad regime. And now we are seeing the results. If we will speak about the real numbers of casualties in Syria, I think we have, to write, uh, we have the right to speak about one million of martyrs there because the United Nations have stopped accounting. They stopped on uh, 500,000 of people, victims, people inside Syria, but the real number is more than, uh, more than this number. We believed in the political solution. We went to negotiations, sincerely worked with Special Envoy Stefan de Mistura to reach an agreement based on Geneva communique and the Security Council Resolution 2254. And we engaged with the efforts of the United Nations in, eight, in nine, nine rounds of negotiation. But unfortunately, in the negotiation, the United Nations was present. The opposition was present, but the regime was not there. Because the regime <coughs> doesn't believe in negotiation, the regime has taken his decision from the, the beginning of the revolution to fight, to continue fighting for the last drop of blood. And he didn't participate at all in any kind of discussion or negotiation in Geneva. So now we are seeing the special envoy, Stefan de Mistura, is يعني, in a difficult situation because he is not able to do anything after four years of his uh, mission. The Russians wanted in Astana meeting to open a parallel or alternative uh, political track. So when we participated in Astana 1 meeting in the beginning of 2017, 
after we sat on the table by five minutes, they put the draft of constitution on the ground while we opened Astana only to discuss ceasefire and the humanitarian issues because all the political discussion and negotiation are related to Geneva process, to the UN-led process. This is a Russian trial to implement or to impose their own political solution. They don't believe in the solution which is adopted in the Security Council, which is supported by the United Nations. After they failed in three current Astana meetings, eight rounds of, of discussion in Astana, they established a new platform or a new track, which is Sochi. They invited for a second conference in Sochi. We, as an opposition, we, we haven't participated in this conference. Uh, after this conference has finished, we saw the final statement. We tried to deal with this statement and these results positively in the political process in Geneva, but again, unfortunately, after three months of this conference, nothing has happened. The regime is still refusing to engage in any negotiation, even establishing the Constitutional Committee, which is the priority of the Russians. He is still refusing. The Russia either hasn't the willing to pressure the regime or unable to pressure the uh, regime. Now we can say that the violence inside Syria is continuing. The political process in, in uh, Geneva is nearly dead. We saw many days ago the joint military uh, response of the international committee against the use of chemical gas in uh, Douma. We welcomed this approach. We said at that time, and we are saying again, that it is not enough because after the, the, the airstrikes, the regime began to take his revenge from civilians by displacement of people in Eastern Ghouta and by targeting civilians in many areas inside Syria. So what we are wanting now is an international action approach strategy that deals with all, with all the details of the Syrian file to adopt and to push for uh, a genuine political negotiation lead to a transition inside Syria. That a transition that assure the change and the removal of this regime and that assure the removal and withdrawal of the militias, Iran militias, from Syria. Thank you. Thank you very much, Dr. Hariri. Um, it's a very good overview of the situation. Um, now, I suppose really I should begin with the question. You've, you, you've sketched out recent events. We haven't yet mentioned quite dramatic events that took place in the early hours of this morning, which is part of the symptom of the increasing complexity, the widening involvement of other countries in the Syrian crisis. You've spoken about the Iranian support for the regime, the numbers of Iranian fighters there. But what do you think will be the effect of this, what appears to be an escalation between the Iranian side, the Israeli side, the recent airstrikes that Donald Trump ordered with the support of the British and the French haven't made any difference, as you 
just said, but are you not concerned now that on the one hand your hope for wider international involvement to end the crisis, the crisis seems to be getting deeper and more complicated all the time. What are your thoughts on that? Exactly. Now, yani when we are speaking about the Syrian crisis, it's not only a Syrian crisis. It is a regional problem and also it is an international crisis. When we are speaking about the side effects of the Syrian revolution, we are speaking about uh, refugee yani, crisis. Millions are, of refugees. Millions. We have, yani, now, now outside Syria, we have between five to seven millions of Syrians in the neighboring countries, Turkey, Jordan, and Lebanon, and in Europe and other countries. We are speaking about terrorism, and all of us, and or at least we know how is strong the relationship between the regime and Iran and the terrorist group Daesh and al-Nusra. We, we are speaking about instability, not only in Syria, in the region and in the world. So when we, tr when we, when we, we will try to solve the problem inside Syria, we have to take the Syrian file from this point of view. It needs an international agreement, international understanding. Now, the stale strike of the three international actors, USA, UK, and France, focused only uh, on the use of chemical weapons. I want to tell you that only less than one percent of Syrians have been killed by chemical weapons. We have, as I mentioned before, more than 600,000 people have been killed by conventional weapons, rockets, barrel bands, etc. So now it is the responsibility of the international community to implement their resolutions, the Security Council resolutions, all of them are calling all the parties to stop targeting and killing civilians. And this is uh, not happening. But in isn't, I mean, the last two if, you, if you look at the events of recent months, um, would you agree or disagree with the proposition that for much of the world, and certainly the big powers that still run the world in this very destabilizing period, there is more or less an acceptance that Bashar al-Assad is there to stay. I don't know whether you've heard anything different in private conversations with uh, world leaders or foreign ministers and so on and so forth, but it seems to me that it is taken as an assumption that Assad isn't going anywhere anytime soon. Where does that leave you and the prospect for determined international action of the kind that you're calling for? I, I think it's not realistic at all. Uh, we were uh, in the SNC Syria Negotiation Commission. We have done a meeting in Riyadh before two weeks with the special envoys, uh, with the envoys for the Syrian fight from all these countries. After, directly after the use of chemical weapons. We heard from them again that Bashar al-Assad is a war criminal. It is uh, yani, uh, reported by the United Nations. They are confirmed that Bashar al-Assad and its forces have done a lot of crimes against humanity and war crimes. And we began to hear from them again that it will not be politic, genuine political solution, stability, fighting terrorism, reducing the 
influence in, uh, of Iran without getting rid of this regime. So I have, uh, we have to ask, the, to ask the question in an opposite way. How can we solve the problem inside Syria with all its complications while Bashar al-Assad and its regime will continue running in, 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 uh, in his position? The Russians must continue to do what they've consistently done for the last seven years. Any effort to hold uh, Assad or his accomplices to account for their crimes will be vetoed at the UN Security Council. Yes, at the Security Council. So how are you going to? How is that supposed to happen? In the beginning, uh, protecting Bashar al-Assad from getting accountable in the Security Council will, but will not be enough to giving him the legitimacy to continue in power. Uh, putting him under accountability is another issue. But uh, even in accountability, I think there are uh, alternatives to the Security Council. You know, we discussed yesterday with the, with the Minister, Boris Johnson, that we have to work uh, within the General Assembly of the United Nations to adopt the idea of establishing a tribunal special for war crimes. I think we have, uh, now a lot of, of countries also are working in this issue, and it will be as a tool of pressure, because all of us know that it is impossible now to uh, bring Bashar al-Assad to accountability while he is still in power in Syria, supported by Russia and Iran, but it is a tool of pressure. But how can we manage all the problems in Syria in details while this regime is still as it is? How can we convince between seven to 11 people who are either displaced from their homes or refugees to come back to their home? How can we get a success, complete success, complete victory against terrorism while the underlying cause of terrorism is still inside Syria? Did anybody here in the audience in Syria before the revolution 2011, any word or any uh, news about the presence of terrorism inside Syria? No. The age, the old of Syria is, is ten, ten of uh, thousands of years. We didn't see any sectarian clashes. We didn't see any signal to terrorism inside Syria. So now if we want to treat the crisis of refugee, terrorism to get a complete victory against it, to bring peace and stability to the region, we have to focus on the underlying cause. The underlying cause is dictatorship, killing of the Assad regime against its uh, people. What's your, what's your impression of the, of the Trump administration's attitude to Syria? We've heard President Trump saying before, just before the, the missile attacks that actually he wanted to withdraw uh, U.S. forces from Syria and leave it to the countries of the region to sort it out. We've seen the Americans suspend or pause their aid to the White Helmets and other elements of the uh, opposition-orientated administration. Other countries, Britain and France, are they going to maintain their support? It seems to me that the signals are very, very negative, particularly from uh, Washington. I wonder how concerned you are about that. I think it's very difficult, even impossible, for Americans to withdraw from Syria. They were working in Syria for six months, uh, six years at least. They have paid billions of dollars to reach to this point, such a huge influence in the north and northeast of Syria. 
Uh, I think the, the, the American president is only trying to get help from others to cover the costs of presence, of their presence in the region. Now we know that the American troops are there. We have between 2,000 to 2,500 of American troops in the North and North Syria. And the Americans are negotiating now with Russians based on this truth that we are in Syria. We are controlling at least 22% of the Syrian territory. Our troops are there, and they are controlling also the oil and gas sources in this, in this rich region. So I think it's very difficult for them to withdraw. They want to use their influence in this region as a tool of pressure on the regime and on Russia to reach a negotiation and a political solution. I, I want to ask maybe just another couple of questions before we open it up to the audience. I think I have to ask because the issue always comes up when the, uh, your organization or the preceding organizations are involved, which is, is it, how relevant are you actually to the situation in Syria? Do you have people on the ground who support you? The Free Syrian Army, as used to be, has all but disappeared. I think there is this dominance of more radical factions on the ground, Ahrar al-Sham, Jesh al-Islam, and so on and so forth. Who do you actually represent these days? I mean, I, I asked the question with a, a degree of, 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 of personal interest. I mean, I was, you know, as a journalist, visited Syria in the early days of the uprising. I remember very vividly still a moving memory of being in around January 2012, being in Zabadani, which was then liberated. It was controlled by the Free Syrian Army. Uh, you could still meet people in Damascus who supported the revolution, who felt that the, the moment had come for Syria to change. And that all seems to have gone. It's gone because of the brutality of the regime, but it's gone for other reasons as well. And I wonder about your own credibility as an organization in trying to represent opposition to Assad these days? I think that the Syrian revolution has many dimensions. One of them is the military dimension. But we are here to present the majority of Syrian people who have uh, legal and, uh, and rights demands, dignity, freedom, democracy, etc. If you remember, in the beginning of the revolution, we as an opposition, I am not ambulant uh, to, to tell you only, I am a cardiologist. I was working in the biggest university hospital in Damascus, in the catheterization units. When I saw at that time that the regime security forces are targeting our people, our civilians, I, as my colleagues, my colleague is businessman, dentist, uh, defected judge from the Syrian regime, and lawyer, all of us, I think that if you were in our position, you will take the same position. We shifted to the demands of our people because nobody of us can tolerate the brutality of the regime. So in the beginning of the revolution, we were not controlling any small piece of the Syrian land because the revolution was between, or the battle at that time, was between the battle, in, the, between the population in general in Syria against the regime and the regime forces. In 2013, I think you remember, the opposition at that time was controlled, controlling between 
70 to 80 percent of the Syrian territory. Today? In 2015, the opposition was controlling between 50 to 60 percent of the Syrian territory. Today, the regime is controlling 55 percent of the Syrian territory, while the other 45 of the Syrian territory is under the control of the opposition and some uh, extremists group. But now, do you believe that the Syrian regime, after seven wars, seven years of war, after he brought the 100,000 of Iranian militias, after he brought this huge Russian forces, do you think that the regime itself, who is running the country? Sure, no. There is no regime inside Syria. Russia and Iran are only keeping the regime as a toy, as a frame, to give them the legitimacy of their presence inside Syria. And we heard this from the Russians themselves. They said to us in Astana that we know that the regime is unable to fight Daesh. He is unable to govern and to protect the areas which we win during our military operations. Yes, we have a credibility because we are the voices of the majority of the Syrian people. We have local councils on the ground. We have NGOs. We have 90,000, 90,000, yes, of a free Syrian army in the north. And we have between 35 and 40,000 of a free Syrian army fighters in the south. But we hope, we believe that we don't need this fighters to continue our battle because we need to reach a political solution as speed as we can because it is in favor of our people. Do you think the Russians will ever put real pressure on Assad? I mean, since the war began in 2011, certainly uh, foreign governments, the British, the French and others, they, they seem to believe that in the end, a solution will be provided by the Russians. They had influence, and when they used their influence, that would bring an end to the war. You have the Russians, you have the Iranians, whose role, as you keep reminding us, is increasingly important. Do you see a divergence of interest between the Russians and the Iranians and a way that Russia can help bring about the kind of internationally imposed settlement that you're I think for? there is a big difference between the positions and interests uh, of Russia and Iran. Iran has its own project, not only in Syria, uh, but in the region. And they came, Iran came with, with its fighters to Syria, and they raised sectarian slogans. They committed a lot of crimes under these slogan, uh, this sectarian slogans, and they came to Syria to stay. Whenever we reach a point close to agreements in any negotiation, in the ground or in the political issue, we see that the Iranian uh, yani, uh, are rejecting any attempt to, to reach a, a solution. But I think that Russia, in the end, wants to close the Syrian fight because their interest in Syria is different from those from Iran. But at the same time, I think that Russia needs a window for negotiation only with Americans because they want to reach a deal with Americans. Without this effect from Americans, I think it will be very difficult, even impossible, to reach an agreement with Russians alone. 
even the other actors like the Arab countries, uh, Europe countries, try to do something with Russians, but Russians, but I think that the Syrian crisis now need an agreement primarily between Russia and America, then you have to speak with others. About Turkey, I mean, you had a lot of support from Turkey. Turkey's been important from the beginning yes. of the crisis, uh, backing that they've given to opposition movements. But today, Turkey seems to be very much pursuing its own interests, a free operation, and so on and so forth, obsessed by the threat from the Kurds. Is that proving helpful to you, or, or, or actually creating that difficulty of widening the war because of the increasing role of outside parties and not necessarily putting the interests of the Syrian people first. Turkey is very important for us. It is a neighboring country. We have three and half a million of our people are living in, uh, in Turkey. And it is Turkey, one of the closest uh, friends. Yeah, it is a member of this, the friends of this. There was an, a group in the beginning of the revolution it is the friend of Syria. So Turkey is one of the important active member of this group. What is good for us now that we see that the, our priorities and the Turkey's priorities are similar. We have the same interests to fight terrorism, to fight PYD because PYD is a militia. They are seeking their own state. They are supporting the idea of division inside Syria. They have done a lot of violation against civilians inside Syria, and these, these violations are registered by international uh, agencies. So fighting terrorism, fighting BYD, uh, achieving a transition inside Syria, bringing peace and civility uh, to Syria, these are co common priorities with Turkey. But I agree with you, all the countries in the world are fighting for their interests. What's the problem now to make a relationship with any country when we find a common grounds or a common interest between us. So the, the battle of Afrin were uh, as a shared battle between the Turkey forces and the Free Syrian Army, between 20 to 25 of the Free Syrian Army fighters have participated in the battle of Afrin. Why? Because uh, of the common interests in this battle between the Turkey and between the Syrian representatives. Okay, so we covered quite a lot of ground, thank you. Now I want to open up to you for questions. So please, as I say, just ask one brief question. Please wait for the microphone so that uh, it can be uh, recorded. Uh, and we'll be over to you to deal with the questions. So uh, please, we'll start in the front row with, no, happy to know is an interested Syrian student. Thank you, uh, thank you for coming. I'm a first-year student here at the LSE. I'm from Damascus as well. Um, so my question is about the last comment you made before the questions about how you would prefer to have international intervention to, to have a political transition. Uh, but my concern is that even if you accept that the regime is perhaps a initial cause for terrorism in Syria, there is progress when it comes to their relative power against uh, terrorist organizations, and there is progress that uh, radical groups are declining in power. Um, so I'm concerned that if we force a political transition that this would allow radical groups some space to reestablish themselves and uh, regain their power. I think the opposite. Chaos 
is the preferable environment for terrorism to regrow again. If we now, the fighting against terrorism is very good, and I think it's in, it's in favor of the Syrian people. This fighting in the resort, in Raqqa, in other places, I think it is very good to reach a political solution, but without engaging in a serious negotiation to bring peace and stability to Syria, I think we will continue hearing about terrorist groups in another shape, in another name, in another manner of practice on the ground until we deal with the underlying cause. So transition is the best prescription to fight terrorism. Uh, thank you very much. Um, so I have a question. Uh, in your opinion, how many Syrians um, do you expect to return? And um, how much of the abandoned property uh, do you expect to be sold off to, to foreign investors? Um, that comes, uh, I believe, in the wake of an announcement by Bashar al-Assad that he... That I didn't understand. Did you there was an announcement, I believe, recently that... Um, all those who left Syria had 36 hours to, to reclaim abandoned property. Um, I'd be interested to know, in your opinion, how many do you think will return and how much of that property will be sold to foreign investors? The he, highest, did a, he did a real threat as well. The highest priority of the regime is to keep himself in power. He doesn't care about refugees. He doesn't care about reconstruction. He preferred to keep Syria, this piece of land, with five to six million, without others to return back to their homes and their lands. Now the regime is trying to use reconstruction contracts as a tool of punishment. Now he is preparing, for example, Russia and Iran and Chinese to begin the reconstruction in Syria. He uses reconstruction as a tool of punishment against those, those countries who supported the opposition or the Syrian people. So now he is doing uh, such things, displacement, preventing refugees to come back to their homes, and uh, issuing uh, laws that uh, allow the regime to take the property of the civilians, especially uh, displaced people and refugees. Thank you for your informative lecture. But uh, I have two questions. Number one is I think the situation is more complicated now because of the Israeli involvement. And again, the player, all those players who are playing, they have playing for their own interest. Whether, it, whether all the, even the old five uh, parliament members of the Security Council, and I, you know, you are saying about the international involvement. I don't think there will be any solution in the international field. The reason is, whatever we, we, we have a question. Whatever it will go to the Security Council, it will be vetoed. It will be better? Vetoed. Vetoed. Vetoed, yes. So there is no solutions from there, that angle. And 
recently in two, three years, it is more complicated. It, when it started, the revolution was started, that time it was more possible to have the solution. My question is only, again, the, you, when you are talking about the return of refugees, unless there is peace and the solutions of the Assad positions, whether he will remain or he will be kicked out, there will be no solutions. What is you, your opinion about that? We saw a lot of our people in uh, neighboring countries and in far countries. <coughs> the majority of them will not come back to Syria while Bashar al-Assad is still in power. This is not because they are believing that Syria will be better uh, without Bashar al-Assad. It is true. All of us believe that Syria is more better without this dictatorship. But because also we are seeing our future with him. If I think to go back to Syria, I have two scenarios, no three scenarios. Either going to prison or to be dead by the Syrian regime. So the majority of them, and you can see now that the Syrian regime has widened his control inside Syria, and we didn't see that a huge movement of refugees to come back to Syria. Why? Because they are not safe. They are not safe inside Syria if they think to come back. Now the international community have to work, have to take an action. The Security Council is blocked by recurrent veto from Russia. But at the same time, let's remember that the strikes of Matar al-Shirat last year, al-Shirat's military base, and this strikes uh, 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 against the use of chemical weapons uh, have been done without agreement from the Security Council. And if you remember, I think in 2017, no, no, in 2018, uh, a group of Russians and Iranian militias tried to pass the border between the regime-held areas and the American-held areas. After 15 minutes, the American forces targeted these areas and at least 250 persons from Russian mercenaries have been killed in this operation without decision of the Security Council, without decision of the United Nations. So this is an evidence that when the international community has the intention to work, it will be able to work. Now I think and it's my belief that the international community nowadays is lacking the leadership. And this lacking of leadership opened the window for smaller players to appear on the scene. Okay, so the guy in the blue shirt. Hi, I just want to follow up on your point that the deal should be done between U.S. And, uh, and, and the Russian at the first place. So do you think the recent escalation between Israel and Iran in Syria uh, could be an opportunity for the opposition to exploit, to start negotiation with, the, with Israel, at least to create a, a buffer zone in the south? I, I mean, can we use Israel at this? No, no, between Israel and Iranis um, uh, supported group uh, inside Syria. Like Iranis and, and Hezbollah groups in Syria, they, they launched um, 
missile attack against Israel yesterday and, and Israel attacked them. So this kind of escalation could be an opportunity for the opposition to start negotiate with is is Israel to push Americans to create this deal between the Russian to uh, stop or to limit the Iranian influence in, in Syria? If we look to the, at the priorities of the American, new American leadership two years ago, one and a half a year, they were speaking about four points. Terrorism, reducing the Iranian influence in the region, stability, and political process to reach a political solution inside Syria. They began fighting terrorism, and I think they have succeeded to a large, to a large point. Now it is time to reduce the influence of the Iranian uh, uh, activity inside Syria. And we warned from the beginning of the revolution that if the international community will keep silent uh, about the developments inside Syria, the moment will come when all of these actors will know their defaults. Now we are paying the price because now we are speaking about 100 fighters of, of Iranian militias. They have built a lot of military bases inside Syria. They have brought a lot of civilians and they gave them the nationality, the Syrian nationality inside Syria. So now Iran is the largest danger inside Syria. Now, when America stopped the or يعني, withdraw from the deal with Iran, or if Israel is thinking of targeting Iranians inside Syria, or other actors, they are not interfering for the interests of the Syrian people, to save the lives of the Syrian people. The, the battle of the region and of the world, I think it began. Now we have two scenarios. The, the first, is beginning real negotiation between Russia and America and the USA to reach a comprehensive settlement in the region. This is the first. The second, I think if the first not happen, we are going to a wide facing between uh, uh, regional powers and international powers. And I think that the promised uh, uh, meeting between Trump and Putin will be very important for this issue. I think there will be a meeting for discussing many files, including through the Syria file. It will be very important. Uh, if you see the, 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 the bombs of, of, uh, of Israel yesterday, well, about 50 sites have been targeted. It is the largest military operation from about uh, 20, 30 years. So the situation is very dangerous. And we are afraid as Syrians that Syria will become a battlefield for regional powers to fight يعني, uh, each other. And the Syrian people will be the only party who, are, who is paying a heavy price from our lives, from our uh, wounds, from our people. Hi, um, I'm Zoe. I'm studying for my master's in journalism at City. So I kind of have a question from uh, the journalistic point of view. Um, how effective um, and accurate do you think that the Western coverage 
of the Syrian conflict has been and what do you think the the role is of journalists in this ongoing conflict is there you know a responsibility for journalists to well I mean obviously I, I do think there is to report this accurately but kind of going forward um, I don't know what, what do you think about the journalism that's been that's covered this region for example lots of people argue that there has been too much focus on terrorism or IS so-called IS um, what would you say to that kind of going forward as a journalist? The true, the, the, the true picture. I think it is a holy duty of journalism and journalists. The truth inside Syria, we are not the victims only of terrorism. You can ask, here, we have a Syrian refugees in UK. You can make an interview of them. Did you leave Syria because of terrorism? Yes, because of the Assad terrorism. Assad who put us in the prisons. And the terrorism is as a major side effect of the Assad brutality. To deal, to manage, to treat terrorism, you have to get rid of this regime. This is the truth. Now, I think that there is some yani, suspicious, some speaking that no, Assad is, is still in power and he is fighting terrorism. It is not true. Karen. Hello, thank you for your talk. Uh, my question has to do, uh, supposing that uh, the negotiations resume, what would, you, what would be the, the, the concrete demands that you would make to the regime? And if you would be willing to, because reg a regime change in this moment is very difficult to foresee, would you be willing as a democratic opposition to be incorporated to the Assad regime? How, what, how, what's your stand in this, in this point? When we went to the negotiation, we worked sincerely to implement the Security Council resolution. We accepted the resolution because these resolutions are achieving the minimum of our demands, which is Geneva Communique and 2254. Geneva Communique is explaining in details establishment of TGB, Transitional Governing Body, which will be established uh, between the regime and the uh, opposition uh, on the base of uh, mutual consent. So I think that implementing Geneva Communique and 2254 as it is, is the only formula that can, uh, that the Syrian people can accept and yani, can reach to a peace and stability inside Syria. Now, the negotiation is not between the United Nations and the regime or between the opposition and the regime. The negotiation now is between Russia from one side and others from the other side. The regime, we participated in Geneva. We participated in the short round of discussion in Vienna just before Sochi conference. We didn't see the regime delegation. We were in direct discussion and negotiation with Russians, but the Syrian delegation was in its hotel and we didn't see him. And this reflects the truth. The truth is that the decision inside Syria now is divided between Russia and Iran. And if we will focus on the willing of the Syrian regime to negotiate and to reach a solution, I think that we, will, we have to wait along because he will not come to negotiate. He knows will 
that the moment the negotiation begins, Bashar al-Assad will lose. This is why he is preventing and blocking any attempts, even small attempts to make any progress in the negotiation. Because now he cannot block the process. But when the process open, he will not be able to do, to do that anymore. I mean, to block the process anymore. Okay, we've got time for a couple more questions. Uh, back here, oh, sorry. Um, you said that 45% of the Syrian land is held by opposition. What opposition groups are you exactly talking about? Because it's not just one. And in the very optimistic case of reaching a politi political agreement to the situation in Syria, how do you propose to guarantee that those groups actually abide by the agreement, by the political transition and everything that it might entail? The majority of these groups are uh, represented well and strongly in the uh, Syrian Negotiation Commission. They accepted the negotiation, they accepted the political solution. They, uh, have, you know, yani they have done obligation that they will be ready to such uh, a solution. Uh, the 45% per, per, territory is divided between the Free Syrian Army and north, northeast of Syria, which is controlled mainly by PYD, but we have other components of the Syrian people who are included in this, uh, in this uh, armed groups. And we have a minimum territory now under the control of Hayat Tahrir al-Sham, and Hayat Tahrir al-Sham is the latest terrorist group <coughs> who is present in Idlib uh, province mainly. And I think now, before, right? yes, yeah. before. And now there is yani, an understanding between Russia and Turkey to solve the problem of Hayat Tahrir al-Sham in Idlib. Is that? Uh, enclave. We have little enclaves in about yani, 10 percent of Daesh in general are still present in different places. Thank you. I'm Robert Lowe from the LSE Middle East Centre. On the PYD question, I wonder if I could push you a little further on that. You expressed your support for the Turkish operation in Afrin. Can you foresee a situation whereby you would favour PYD involvement in an eventual uh, peaceful solution which satisfies the population in northern Syria? Um, or do you view them as impossible to work with and you're only willing to talk to the other Kurdish parties? Yes, we are speaking and dialoguing with other Turkish parties. We have the National Kurdish Council represented strongly in the National Coalition, Syrian National Coalition, and they are also with us in the Syrian Negotiation Commission. And we have a lot of other parties, Kurdish parties, far away from BYD. And they are yeah, nearly enemy with BYD because BYD have also done a lot of violations even against our Kurdish brothers. Now, when we are speaking about PYD, even America, who is the main uh, backer of PYD, now they are Americans are thinking to make a new platform of representatives of all components of the Syrian people in this area. And this representation will form like a political party or something far away from military. So now Americans, they are trying to solve the problem of UID with Turkey and with the Syrian people by putting them away and choose a, a suitable representation 
of the region to be represented in the negotiation. But now joining BYD in any kind of negotiation, it is very impossible in this current situation. Because how can we accept any militia who, ha who, are, who, who, who is working <coughs> to enforce their own projects by weapons? We are ready to, go to sit on the table to negotiate everything, to discuss the future of our country, but without weapons. What is the difference between Daesh and such a militia? They want to divide our country. They want to announce the shape of the states only from their side. They don't believe that we are part of the, of the whole country. So the problem with them is very big, and I think that uh, yani there is a big need to solve this problem. Okay, please. Uh, hello. My question takes a bit of a different angle. As members of the coalition, I'm wondering what is it that you're doing to reach out to the, to the Syrian diaspora that is here in European countries? Uh, we know that there have been so many Syrian activists in here who have taken a step back that feel that they've been marginalized and pushed into humanitarian fields. And, I'm, and many Syrians who are actually very, very willing to be involved, however, many of them see that things have gone to a very complicated phase. Some have actually expressed that things have gone to a dead end. Ones who've actually in, were very involved in the revolution when it was in the streets. So I'm wondering whether you're reaching out to those people, trying to align interests, draw a way forward with them? You are right, it's a very important point. We have an office in the coalition, international coalition, and the SNC Syria Negotiation Committee. This office is, is responsible for opening direct connection and dialogue and everything with NGOs and with diaspora. You know, I mentioned before that we have between five to seven million distributed in many countries. So you can imagine how it's difficult this mission to connect with all of these, yani, of these people. It's very difficult, but we are uh, trying to do our best to reach out to these, to, to our, uh, these, these are our people. And in the political issues, we were keen to re represent as much as we can in our uh, uh, conference in Riyadh too. So a lot of people who were invited to Riyadh to conference were from uh, independence group, independence group the persons who don't, uh, who doesn't belong to any political party. So we were keen to represent them as much as possible, but it is very difficult and we have to work more and more. And I think that even them, they have, you know, they have the duty also to, to, to reach out to us because it is very difficult to, we are just you know, 10, 15 persons who are doing all of this, of this work. Thank you for you know, putting this. Huh? Very quickly. Yes, yes. Okay. Yes, yes, yes. We will continue. Question is a, 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 a hard mission, but we have to, to, to improve our practice in that. And here, please. Are you Thank you. Syrian? Are you Syrian? Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Dr. Nasser. I, I highly appreciate the point that uh, you started your talk about talking about the instrumentalization of jihadists in Syria because 
Myself, I was in, in Member City in 2012 when IS captured the city from the Free Syrian Army. And at, at that time, all the airstrikes against the, the area and the city stopped. And uh, I believe that was a game changing in, in all cities, including Mambridge, where the thousands of jihadists actually were gathering there in the city um, by just uh, turning an eye planted strategy towards IS there, provided the group with an opportunity to mobilize and empower. So that was very important to highlight. Uh, apart from this, actually, I have a very simple basic questions, but I personally struggle to understand. What form of relationship there is between the political oppositions and the military oppositions? What form of communication do you have? Who is representing the Syrians at the moment? Polish um, communication. <laughs> uh, yes, but, because yeah. The coalition, for example, the, mm -hmm. the total number of coalition is 83. Mm -hmm. Fifteen of them are representative, direct representative of the armed groups. And the majority of them are the commanders mm -hmm. of these armed groups. In the SNC, which is also يعني, like a branch of the coalition, uh, we, in, in the two conference, we invited 23 representatives of the armed groups. In the end of the conference, we selected seven of them to be representative on the SNC. So now the armed groups are completely represented in the political institutions. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. I want to just add one very brief last question, if I may, using my prerogative as the chairman. Looking back over the last seven years, it, it's a complicated story. We've touched on an awful lot of things that are relevant now. I want to ask you a simple question in two parts. One is, what was your most optimistic moment? When did you think that the revolution might work? And the second and related question in is what... Demonstrations. This is the, 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 yani the most important moment I felt. In 2011. A huge demonstration in Hama, in Derizor, in Dara'a. We was very close of victory at that time. In 2011. 2011. And there was no yani military actions except from the regime. We were victims in the beginning of the revolution when we saw a huge demonstration. All of these voices are asking for freedom, dignity, democracy. You see girls, boys, old men, uh, uh, boys. Uh, this is the greatest feeling for us. And what was your most pessimistic moment? Pessimistic moment? When did you feel that there was Nowadays. no hope? Nowadays. Nowadays. When we see all the regional actors and the international actors are coming to our country, they are using their weapons, but not to protect us. We are crying to them, protect us, but they are uh, interfering in, in Syria just to fight each other or to protect their own interests. Okay, it's good to fight for your, uh, your uh, yani own interests, but it's your duty, your responsibility in the Security Council to keep the civilians' lives, to keep the, the, the peace, the security of the region, of the world. Now, I think that speaking about, sorry, about democracy and the, the, the value of life, of, uh, of such a thing, is just a joke. We experienced that. We saw that all of these countries who are fighting for democracy, we didn't see any, any, any of them to help us in our country. They are fighting for oil, 
for gas, for dividing the lands, for everything, but not for civilians. Thank you very much. Uh, thank you, Dr. Harir.